0: WVIA's Mind Over Matter, a mental health initiative, is underwritten by Geisinger. When you hear Geisinger, what comes to mind? A hospital, doctors, health insurance? We're all those things. But here's something you might not think of. We're also your local pharmacy. Geisinger Pharmacy isn't just for people in the hospital, it's for you. Want to fill a prescription? We've got you covered. Just need over-the-counter stuff? We've got that too. And Geisinger Pharmacy is run by your friends and neighbors. We're your local healthcare system and your local pharmacy.
1: Hello everyone, and welcome to the Mind Over Matter podcast. I'm Tracy Matisak and in this episode, we are talking about, among other things, restorative parenting, what it is, how it works, and how it can impact a family's mental health. Our guest is Tia Dreckman, a K 12 professional school counselor with 21 years of experience in public education. She's a nationally certified counselor with expertise in suicide prevention and trauma informed care. Ms. Dreckman is an advocate for students and has devoted much of her career to students in the middle grades. Tia Dreckman, welcome to the Mind Over Matter podcast.
2: Thanks for having me, Tracy.
1: So what is restorative parenting or restorative care and, and where did that idea come from?
2: Yeah. So restorative parenting or um, kind of as it was originally thought about is really that idea of restorative practices. When I was looking at some things, you know, it actually was built out of our criminal justice system and the idea of bringing together um, offenders and victims and kind of helping them to uh, create um, a space to have a conversation about a conflict or uh, an issue and so what we have done in the field of education and now you know uh, that has spilled over we've realized that it has spilled over into all aspects of our lives is recognizing that conflict is a natural part of life of things um of every day that Conflicts happen, whether they are internal conflicts or external conflicts with other people. Um, And so the idea of restorative practices or restorative parenting is creating a voice for both parties within a conflict um, and coming to a maybe not necessarily an agreement, but coming to an understanding um, and creating a space where people can take accountability for their actions within a situation or a conflict um, but really restorative practices can be used in many different spheres um, including just as an individual so there are times where I'm even having an internal conflict something that I'm kind of weighing out and really I'm looking at the idea of okay th- this is a conflict that I'm having what is kind of a best case scenario what am I willing to take a look at and say I have control over this, but I don't have control over that. How am I going to move forward with this conflict?
1: So it sounds like it's sort of moving away from the punitive idea, you know, particularly, I'm thinking about parenting here, right? (sighs) Like the sort of, you know, crime and punishment, you did this, this is the penalty that you're going to have to pay and sort of more of a having a conversation and coming to some way of being held accountable that then can work to your point, not just in a family relationship, but among friends and a marriage and all kinds of different relationships in life.
2: Yeah. And Tracy, I I love that you mentioned the marriage piece. So in romantic relationships as well, I mean, this is so much the core of couples counseling is the idea of coming together. So why aren't we teaching our children this at such a younger um, age? And as parents and as educators, we have the perfect platform to be able to do that. So you talked about moving away from punitive. Yes, this is less about sending your child to their room for the next 10 years. Go to your room. I never want to see you again. (laughs) And more about, hey, how can we prevent this from happening again. Uh, how can this look different moving forward?
1: And Tia, as I'm hearing you, I'm thinking a couple of things. One, I can see how for people who were raised with the punitive model, whether it was in their family or maybe where they went to school or what have you, that that could be a bit of an adjustment. That there could be the sense of you know what kids need to feel a little pain, and there needs to be you know some sort of consequence. And 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 maybe what I'm getting at is consequence versus punishment?
2: Yeah, so here, here's the piece of that. So um, if we look at parenting as a journey, as something that we are um, continuing to... Um, do And it's it's not a one-time thing. It's not a two-time thing. It's something we're continuing to do. What I really like about the idea of restorative parenting or restorative practice is one of the things that I mentioned earlier is that accountability piece. So me as the parent, as the person who is supposedly in charge, I have the opportunity through restorative practices to say, you know what? I messed up when I was yelling and screaming at you because you forgot your homework at home and now you have a bad grade. I have the opportunity in restorative practices to say, this is my piece of this conflict that I am owning, and I am sorry for that. And that can go as deep, Tracy, for our families that are parenting in those teen years to say, you know what? I didn't know better in the moment. I can remember being 15 and that time that I made a mistake, and I remember what it felt like to be screamed at. And I'm sorry that I did that to you. That's not how I want things to go between you and I. How did it make you feel when I was yelling and screaming? So what I really like about restorative practices is acknowledging that no one is perfect and conflict and mistakes are part of a natural progression towards a healthy
1: adulthood. And that takes a degree of introspection that maybe not everybody is used to, right? That that can be an adjustment yeah yeah, and this is
2: where we get this is where we get really tripped up, right? So, um, as parents, we are given this gift of a child. Um, but with that, we have a choice to accept. Um, the willingness to learn and grow along with that child and so in my professional career as a school counselor I run into um, adults who are, who just are not willing they just are not willing um, to kind of bend and have that introspect that introspection um, for one reason or another and, and i I often will um, err on the side of it's it's because of their own, traumas or things that they have experienced in their life, that it's difficult to revisit that. So I will often coach parents um, through those situations and help them to think about what reactions they would prefer their children to have. And if they prefer their children to have a less um or um, uh, a less harsh reaction or a more um, cooperative reaction, we as the adults must model that for them. So that cooperative um, learning together is kind of how I approach that with adults who may not be as comfortable with the introspection piece that is required for that restorative parenting or restorative practices in general.
1: It's easy to see how a parent could um, sort of take the authoritative route, because yeah. a, a lot of us yeah. grew up with that, that the parent, yeah. the teacher is the authority, yeah. and and that's the end of the story. Um, Tia, you mentioned a moment ago the term trauma, and there is also this concept of trauma-informed parenting, trauma-informed care. Is that different from restorative, or is there some overlap, or what does that mean?
2: Yeah I I think there's overlap I think there's a tremendous amount of overlap so if we think about um, serving students who have been or or children who have been impacted by trauma um and let me just let me just Tracy I'm going to take a minute to kind of share just a quick thing about um, trauma that I have learned in my, um, I've been on a couple year journey um, in learning about trauma. And when I first started learning about trauma, I was like, whoa, 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 trauma? Like, this is not, I don't, people, not everyone, trauma is not nearly as popular as we're saying that it is. I want, I want I want parents to understand that trauma does not equal catastrophic, so they do not need to be the same thing. So just because you or your child or your neighbor or your sibling has not been um, part of something that we may have previously viewed as catastrophic does not mean that you haven't been impacted by trauma. If we look at, and there are many different definitions of trauma, but if we look at it from the lens of something that has impacted a person to the point of behavior and or thought changes, many of us in one way or another have been impacted by trauma. Of course, most recently on a global scale, COVID. We have changed our behaviors and our thought processes as a result of what has come from that um, the 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 uh, the COVID uh, pandemic. So, with that being said, it is important when we can to operate from a trauma-based lens, a lens of we're not really sure how much this has impacted someone, um, but it's important to be. Um, caring and understanding and to try to listen, all of those pieces, trauma-informed care uh, can can be synonymous with, in, in my opinion, good parenting, thoughtful educating, and really just being a good human.
1: Yeah. I would think too that trauma-informed parenting in particular, I could see that especially being necessary with adoptive kids, with foster oh. kids, for example, <laughs> who may have experienced a lot of stuff before they get to you.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I don't have personal experience in that field. However, um, families that I have worked with, that I have had the absolute pleasure of working with, uh, colleagues um, who have had that experience absolutely have shared how important it is to have an understanding, this is gonna sound interesting, to have an understanding of the unknown. Essentially appreciating that everyone we come in contact with particularly students and children, have things going on that are unknown to us and appreciating how that may impact their behavior.
1: Yeah. Speaking of behavior, how does trauma manifest itself in children? What are some of the ways and and how do we distinguish that from what might might look to us like just plain old bad behavior?
2: Misbehavior. Yes, misbehavior. Well, here's the important thing to remember. Um, everything is communication including behavior. So when someone is behaving in a certain way, uh, what I often say to parents, what I often have to say to myself. So when I have uh, my own child or an, another, a student of mine that is behaving in a certain way and I just want to say, why are you doing this? What What is your problem? <laughs> Instead, (laughs) what I need to tell myself, the self-talk that I have in those stressful parenting situations, because behavior is communication, is what are you trying to tell me? What are you trying to tell me through your behavior? So that behavior may be um, lots of tears and crying. That behavior may be um, very... um, Introverted and not talking and shut down. That behavior in some situations may become physical, you know, where we are destroying property or even harm to self. And really, if we are looking at it from the side of what are you trying to tell me, what message are you trying to purvey to me right now through your behavior, you're much more likely to get your brain to a place of that restorative versus that punitive side of things. So instead of um, what is wrong with you, it, it more so needs to be what has happened to you. What are you trying to tell me? I think about that oftentimes when I see students in the morning um, because they come you know, first thing in the morning off the bus or you know, they walk to school or whatever. And I, I watch students in the morning and I see how um, behaviors and attitudes and moods fluctuate. So I really try to say, my, my self-talk is oftentimes, oh, I wonder what happened this morning. I wonder how this morning went for this student. So even um, when we're thinking about our own children, think about this, our teens, when they come home from school, how often do we see changes in mood and attitude when our child comes home from school? One thing that I say to parents in parenting through the teen years is stop taking it so personal. It's really not about Mm -hmm. you as the parent. It's about your teen and how they are experiencing life. So if my child comes through the door and she's, you know, happy and excited to see me and very talkative, and let's be honest, those are not the majority of the days, (laughs) but I know that something, something must have gone really well for her and I need to monopolize on those times. But those other times when she comes through the door and she's slamming the door and throwing the backpack and all that stuff stuff Instead of my my initial reaction, which goes back to those, um, you know, Tracy, we talked about how we've all been, you know, maybe parented in different ways. So for some people, when they see those behaviors, it's how many times do I have to tell you to not slam the door and don't throw your backpack? Ooh, time out. That behavior of slamming the door and throwing the backpack, that's communication. So what is your child trying to tell you about their day? without actually verbalizing it.
1: So let's take that a step further then, Tia, and say that now we know why our child is acting out. And let's say you've got a child who's being bullied either at school or on social media. Um, Just give us an example of how, as a parent, um, you might handle that in a restorative, trauma-informed kind of way.
2: Yeah. So um, when we have a student that's struggling, um, the the restorative piece, restorative and relate kind of go hand in hand. And then this also goes to that the trauma informed practices. We know from trauma informed practices that before we can kind of make any sort of headway with our children or, or with um, someone who has experienced something difficult. So whether it's a bullying situation, whether it's just a bad day at school, we must first help that. That child to regulate so when they're throwing their backpack and doing all of those things in that case that may be a situation of just some distance right in order to help this child to come down from a heightened state when they're upset upset oftentimes in teen parenting in particular space is key um, to give to give that student or to give your child some space the next thing is relate is to come to that child and say, ooh, something just seems a little bit off today. Can you tell me more? Um, Relating to how the student, acknowledging how they're feeling. Instead of acknowledging the behavior, instead of acknowledging the bad behavior, acknowledge what we know as far as what is being communicated. When you threw your backpack and slammed the door, it seemed to me like you were really angry and upset. What do you think? Um, and then the third piece of that is reasoning. Once we get to that regulate, once we have that that regulate and relate, then we can work with our student of, hey, this is going to happen again. You're going to have another, you're going to have a bad day again. Somebody's going to say something at school that you really don't like. You're going to see a post on social media that you don't like. When this happens next time, anything we could do differently, that is restorative parenting. The idea of let's get to a place where we can both communicate, right? Sometimes as the parents, we're heightened, we're angry and upset. You just threw your backpack into that wall that I just painted. Like, I'm mad about this. That's not the time to address misbehavior, okay? Um, Once we get to a state where we are both kind of uh, regulated is what we call it when we think about brain states, then relate, coming together as a parent and child. Hey, I love you. And you seem really upset. What do you think? Can you tell me more? Are you in a place where we can talk about this? And then reason, moving forward. This is going to happen again. Difficult situations happen. Um, What can we do differently next time?
1: Yeah, whole different model, I think, than many people are used (laughs) to, but really, really helpful. We have so much more to talk about as we're having this conversation about restorative parenting, trauma-informed care, and how that ultimately helps the mental health of ourselves and our families. We're talking with Tia Dreckman. Going to take a short break, and we'll be back right after this.
0: WVIA presents a Mind Over Matter Minute. Hi, I'm Dr. Sam Faulkner from Geisinger. Mindfulness is a type of meditation
1: focusing on being aware of what you're sensing and feeling in the moment to help relax your body and mind and reduce stress. A simple mindfulness exercise uses your five senses. Take a few slow breaths and ask yourself, What are three things I can hear? What are three things I can see? What are three things I can feel? What are three things I can smell? What are three things I can taste? Think of these
0: answers slowly, one sense at a time. It doesn't take long, so anyone can make time for this exercise. For more, visit wvia.org forward slash matter or dial 211 to speak with someone who can help. Mind Over Matter is presented by WVIA in partnership with Geisinger.
1: You're listening to the Mind Over Matter podcast. I'm Tracy Matisak, and our guest is Tia Dreckman. She's a K-12 professional school counselor. She's got lots of experience in public education. Uh, she is also a nationally certified counselor with ex- expertise in suicide prevention and trauma-informed care. We're talking about restorative parenting, about trauma-informed care, and how that can help the mental health of ourselves and our families. And Tia, we've we've covered a lot of ground here, but I would love to hear a little bit more about how you as a school counselor use trauma-informed care, restorative care, when you are dealing with the students who show up in your office.
2: Yeah. Um, So every situation is unique and I approach every situation that way. Um, You know, I... uh, Going back to, you know, the the trauma piece, um, I have uh, done a lot of work around Bruce Perry's trauma work, um, so we had talked a little bit earlier about the idea of regulate, relate, and reason. So, um, you know, when a student comes to me, um, depending on how they're presenting, because there are just so many different ways, as we talked earlier, to show or to communicate through behavior, um, depending on how someone Comes and presents to me really depends on how I approach um, each situation. So, if I have a student that is more introspective and quiet, I can jump right to that relate stage of working with a student. I don't, the brain is already regulated. I don't have a student that is, you know, overly emotional or violent or any of those things. And again, Tracy, there's so much of a crossover between what I do as a school counselor and what I do as a parent, because with all of those things, you know, my work in public education and all of that, my greatest job, my best thing ever is that I am a mom and I'm actually a mom in the throes of the teen years. So, so much of what I do, um, and my own mother has reminded me of this is I'm very fortunate as a parent because I spend all day long studying what it's like to raise children. So, um, for for better or for worse, I do have <laughs> I, I, I do spend quite a bit of time uh, parenting, whether it's my own or my incredible, incredible, amazing uh, middle school student. So, with that being said, I approach every situation different. Um, but what I ask of parents, coaches, mentors um, is that you keep the idea in mind of it is so important, particularly in the teen years, that relationship, the relate piece. You are going to. I don't want to say you're not going to get anywhere, but your ability to positively impact a child is going to be greatly increased commensurate with your willingness to relate to them. So what I mean by that is sometimes you have to talk about things you don't really have any interest in talking about. If I could list, and I can't for a specific reason, but if I could list the name of all of the TikTokers and YouTubers that I have to pretend to absolutely love and want to hear more about, we would be here all day. Now, the reason I can't list all of those is my brain, what we are able to do as adults is listen actively with a child, but ultimately I'm not I'm not putting that in my long-term memory, right? But I spend lots of time talking about topics that... Maybe necessarily in my everyday life, I don't love, but I know that my students do and my child does. And it's something that's important to them. So if we think back even um, to uh, gaming is one example. I am not a gamer. I, I, it, it's just not something, I'm a, I'm a peopley kind of in-person person. Gaming is not my thing. But if you ask my students that I work with, I absolutely love the video game Among Us and it is something that I am able to do with my students. I meet them where they're at, right? So this is a game that they enjoy playing. It can be safe. Um, it can be something that we can enjoy together. And so, yep, Mr. Dreckman says, pull out your devices. We're gonna load a game of Among Us and all of a sudden I'm the hero. When all I've done is I have related to my teens. I have showed them that their interests are important to me and therefore they are important. Um, So I, when I'm approaching all students, um, when I'm with my own amazing, amazing kiddo, the biggest thing is that that relationship piece and doing what you can to relate. um, That's how you're going to see the most positive outcome.
1: So Tia, we've talked about, you know, the idea of regulating, right? Like kind of calming the situation down and de-escalating. We've a great deal about relating. I want to talk about the reasoning piece of this as well because I can imagine a parent listening to this and saying, okay, accountability is one thing, but are you saying that there aren't consequences, you know, when a child acts out, when they misbehave? Um, where do consequences come into play here? because we've talked about, you know, moving away from a punitive model. so where do consequences fit into all of this?
2: Yeah, fair, very fair. I'm not one that's like, there are no consequences. No, because the world has lots of consequences, right? So teens are looking for autonomy. They want the ability to be grown before they are grown. They are constantly looking for ways to be independent. However, what we need to help to teach our children is that accountability is part of that autonomy. So let me give you an example that I use often in my own home, and it has to do with phones the device right so when i notice when we're at a place in our home where the day has gone you know one way or another and i say to my daughter hey girlfriend i've noticed that you've been on your phone for quite a while right now there's some things that dad and i would like to do the next question out of my mouth creates an ability for our daughter to have some control to work towards that autonomy and the next question out of my mind my The next question or the question that I pose to my child is, how much more time do you need on your phone to feel like you're at a place where you can come and do XYZ with us as a family? So so posing to our child when they are in a situation or they have gotten themselves into a situation that is uncomfortable, um, in the case of the cell phone use, that's just one of those kind of everyday things, right? If your child, a preferred activity, let's just say preferred activity. So your kid's been outside playing basketball for hours and they still haven't emptied the dishwasher. (sighs) Hey girlfriend, how much more time do you need out here shooting hoops before you're going to be ready to come in and empty the dishwasher? I'm gonna need that done because we're working on dinner. So the idea of giving your child some power uh, within a situation. Now, when we talk about um, conflict or misbehavior or those kinds of things, consequences come in, right? So once we've worked to doing the regulate, relate, and now we're at reason, we have both kind of set our piece. So when you did this, I felt this way because what do you think? that's kind of a, a pattern that I use. I guess I should go into more details about that, but that's a, a speech pattern that I use when when talking with students and my own child about situations, uh, situations that may be difficult. Um, but the idea of this has hurt me or our family in this way, what do you think would be an appropriate consequence for this situation? Involving your child in the consequence is key to compliance. So if you're just going to throw out there, that's it, you've lost your phone for the next 2 weeks. There's going to be a lot of tension there versus, hey, this situation was really difficult on your father and your father and I, we have agreed together you and I that a consequence needs to be put in place. What do you think would be an appropriate consequence for this? It's difficult because it's a pattern of communication. It's a pattern of um, parenting that you do have to build up to because your child, the first time you throw this out, is going to be very confused. Like, wait, you want me to punish myself? No, 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 no. I want to know what your thoughts, feelings, and opinions are on what an appropriate consequence would be because that is part of taking accountability for this situation.
0: Mm.
1: Yeah. And I think that that would be something that, you know, at first, at least, would confuse a child and would take some adjustment on the part of a parent, right, to begin to think in that way. And then I guess from that point, you kind of, do you negotiate the outcome and then sort of figure out, okay, what seems like an appropriate way to handle this?
2: Yeah. So I've had this exact conversation with my daughter, uh, as well, where she'll, she's, and she knows this, right? She's used to this. This is how mom and dad parent, whatever. So she'll throw out like what the consequence should be. And she's like, "Mm, I think the consequence should be, I can't come out of my room tomorrow morning until 10 AM or something, you know, she gets to sleep in extra long or something. (laughs) That is the place for negotiation where then I'm like, yeah, I don't think so. How about you, the next time you get invited somewhere, you're gonna stay home with us instead. Or And, and we do, we have to be open to um, negotiation. And again, remember our ultimate goal as parents is to raise good humans, right? Good humans can take conflict and negotiate through it in order to come to an agreement that works for all parties. So when we're doing this, um, and I'll have parents that say like, I'm not giving in. I'm not doing that. It's not giving in. It's giving out. It's giving love out. It's giving appreciation out to say, hey, you acknowledge that you made a bad choice. I'm willing to now acknowledge that you have a say in what your consequence is. I think it's really important to keep that in mind.
1: Yeah. Finally, Tia, um, just sort of as we look at this idea as a whole, this restorative care, restorative parenting, ultimately, how do you think that that helps or impacts the mental health of a family when you engage in that particular type of relating to one another?
2: Yeah. So, So Maslow's hierarchy of needs, the idea of love and belonging, this is all about love, and belonging when we um, parent when we educate from a restorative from a trauma lens we are creating love and belonging and that is so much what our teens are looking for belonging being key right if they don't feel as though they belong in a family setting they're going to find that elsewhere with their peers or within the community um, love and belonging is absolute key to building healthy humans and parenting from a restorative mindset, from a trauma lens, creates an environment where a child feels as though they belong, where they feel as though they're heard, uh, they're appreciated, they're loved, they're important, um, but it does take a little bit of work on our side as parents. Sometimes, as much as we we maybe don't want to, um, we need to do that. Give in and remember that it's more giving out. We are giving. We are giving that love. We are showing our child respect. Therefore, we are building that love and belonging, which is the absolute um, uh, stepping stone to healthy adulthood.
1: Yeah. Well, Tia Dreckman is a K-12 professional school counselor. She's got many years of experience in public education, and she also has expertise in suicide prevention and trauma-informed care. Tia, thank you so much for taking time to talk with us about this and helping us to maybe think about parenting and relating in a different way than we're used to.
2: Thank you, Tracy. I appreciate the time. Yeah.
1: You're listening to the Mind Over Matter podcast. For more information on this and other mental health topics, check out our website at wvia.org slash mind over matter. I'm Tracy Matisak. Thanks for listening. See you next time.
0: WVIA's Mind Over Matter, a mental health initiative is underwritten by Geisinger. When you hear Geisinger, what comes to mind? A hospital, doctors, health insurance. We're all those things. But here's something you might not think of. We're also your local pharmacy. Geisinger Pharmacy isn't just for people in the hospital. It's for you. Wanna fill a prescription? We've got you covered. Just need over-the-counter stuff? We've got that too. And Geisinger Pharmacy is run by your friends and neighbors. We're your local healthcare system and your local pharmacy.